it's like a game like that's the whole problem it's so extremely addicting i think to be honest like one of the most addicting business models it's like a game of monopoly essentially today i talked to noah morris who at only 19 years old is running 20 plus profitable youtube channels that are making him around a million dollars a year he's done that by building teams that run the channels for him by delegating all that work he's built a lifestyle where he's able to make a million dollars a year working only one day a week let's find out how he does it so to start off, just want to give people a little context about you. So you're turning 20 next week, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And how many YouTube channels are you running currently? Well, there's a big difference between like, okay, how many I'm running? Because it's it sound, usually sounds low because it's like between 25 and 30 and how many are profitable, which is actually the interesting number, right? Because like you can run a near infinite amount of YouTube channels, but if they're not profitable, it doesn't really matter. But like between all times, it's somewhere around 25. How much did you make last year with all these channels? It's around um, 700 to 800,000 US. Damn. So almost a million dollars just last year yeah. from the channels. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So now that we have people's attention... Can you uh, give a brief overview of uh, YouTube automation? Because, I mean, I think that's that's the yeah. best term to describe what you do, right? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I think you, you talk about, like, faceless channels a lot. Um, but, yeah. but just, like, give the, the intro for someone that's not familiar. Like, what is YouTube automation? So, essentially, if you don't know what YouTube automation is, it's literally, like, okay, normally, if you are a normal YouTuber, right, you're basically... Uh, you basically do everything yourself like you you film yourself you have to edit yourself you have to post yourself essentially with youtube automation instead of like having to film yourself you hire a script writer that writes the script then you have someone who does the voiceover a uh, voiceover artist and then um, lastly you'll get a video editor essentially who um, puts together that complete package so he will start sourcing footage off of um, YouTube, Reddit, Twitter, wherever he can get the footage from. And he'll, he puts that package essentially together and then um, you upload it to your own YouTube channel. So essentially you don't have to record anything. Um, it's infinitely scalable, well, to a certain amount. And obviously it's like a really good way to kind of generate passive income because you can run multiple channels at the same time Like because you're, you're not constrained by how much you can record in a day. So yeah, that's basically what YouTube automation is. And you can basically automate it to whatever extent you want it to be. Like, usually when you start out, right, you don't really have to automate a lot of things. Like, you'll just get a, a script right to voiceover and then a video editor, and then you'll upload it yourself. But as soon as you start growing and you have, like, a few channels running, you're going to have to hire a manager, hire someone who will upload the videos for you. And that's essentially what YouTube automation is. It's like building a factory out of the production of YouTube videos. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially, I think you're treating YouTube like a business, right? Like most right. like most YouTube channels are still kind of like creator first, business second, right? But what you're mm -hmm. doing is like you're looking at YouTube as like a business model and you're like, right. hey, like, like how do you scale YouTube, right? Like you scale with people. And so you're building teams yep. kind of like Mr. Beast has like scaled a team on one channel, right? And that's like, that's what it looks like if you like focus all that attention on one channel uh, when you have systems and you have like a big, like mm -hmm. a large team. But here what you're doing is essentially applying that like business strategy to like scaling multiple channels. And just to give an idea, can you share some of the channels that you're, I know like 
a lot of times you don't want to spill the beans, right? No, no, yeah, I can, I can, I can. So actually, yeah, I was working on the course, so I was going to share this channel regardless in the course itself. Now, now I don't hope this, like the podcast goes so far that like the case study in the course itself becomes irrelevant. Yeah. But you, if you search up the channel court cases, right, so this is a, a pretty good example of like, okay, I saw there was a gap in the market since I was researching the topic. So I saw, okay, the topic of like reactions in court. That's something where there's a large fear pool who will uh -huh. basically watch anything and it's not as saturated. So I consistently saw other smaller channels go viral using this format. And then when I saw that, I especially, I jumped on it. I was like, okay, we have to produce videos like this. And once you, you first stick to the format that was working and basically once that works, you start kind of innovating. Because obviously if you, you can kind of see the area where I essentially started outsourcing and the quality started dropping. So that's another mm. th thing. When you run a lot of channels, like at the start, it was especially me like consulting the thumbnails, titles, videos as well. So yeah, you can see here in the beginning of the videos, there are like 5 million views, 2.6 yeah. million views, like 3.9 million views. And then it kind of goes down a little, but still like you're getting like 500K. It seems like right. a good video. Yeah, right. So, but it can be way bigger. Like I know other channels who are consistently putting a million in this niche, but yeah, essentially that's how it works. But you can kind of see that once you start outsourcing and th and that's the thing, you have to go through a lot of revisions with your team. Like for example, you can kind of, as soon as I took my hands off the channel, you can immediately see like uh, also the quality and the ideas in the thumbnails kind of drop, like the text starts getting weird, mm -hmm. the videos start getting less um, engaging. And that's something that's like the biggest issue with YouTube automation for me is because I can't produce more me's. So that's the only problem I have like, and I'm kind of trying to hedge it by trying to get um, a bit of like YouTube strategist on the team as well. But essentially that's what I'm running into right now. And that's why I'm also getting into like other fields like SaaS, Snapchat, and then also now the, um, a platform like the course is because those are easily scalable without me, but the YouTube channels, um, they're going to run against a, a strategic wall eventually, not so much a production wall, but more like a strategic wall where we're capping out in quality and we're getting uh, overrun by the competition because essentially they can focus more on one channel at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically what you're saying is it's scalable to a certain degree, right? Right. But it's like... It's like any business, right? Like as you yeah. delegate, the idea is that the people you hire can do like, like 50 to 80% as good of a job as you, but like that 20% like makes a big difference, right? Right. Um, it's a very big difference. But it's also why most people struggle to build a business, right? It's because like yep. they are not comfortable with, especially in the beginning, right? That period you were talking about where it's like, hey, like this stuff sucks and you have to go through the period of time where it's like you have to let them suck and kind of like give feedback yep. without like micromanaging right and yeah right that's a natural process so essentially yeah you have to push through that period of where the team does really badly because they're going to make so many mistakes at the start and that's why i also say like for example when people start with youtube automation right make sure you understand that there's gonna be like error money or play money involved when you first start investing because your team will never be perfect in the first 10 to 15 videos minimum. Like they will make so many mistakes. So you have to be on top of it at the start. But once you've established that format, it's really easy to repeat at some point. Like if they have enough revisions and you keep giving concise feedback, they'll get it sometime. Yeah, that makes sense. So how, um, how do you get started with this stuff? How do you get into YouTube and how do you end up into uh, automation stuff? 
Right, so that's that's a long story. So essentially, it started out, um, I think, like seven, maybe it's longer now, but I think like around seven years ago, like I was addicted to playing Minecraft. Like I played it 12 hours a day, um, especially Minecraft on your phone, so Minecraft Pocket Edition, it was called. So I started a YouTube channel around it, and that did pretty well. I'm not going to mention the name, <laughs> but, but it did all right. So that's the reason, that's the reason. Right, so... Yeah, so essentially I started doing that and then basically Minecraft literally told me everything I needed to know. So it told me like management. So I, I, w- I was already like um, having teams, like we were running Minecraft servers. So okay. it told me like, okay, how to run a team and doing management. Then it told me video editing because I was running the YouTube channel, of course, as well. So it kind of told me the management video editing side of it and the scripting and then I also started getting into coding a bit. For Minecraft mods, you need to know how to code Java. And all these things kind of collided when one day someone sent me a message on Twitter like, hey, I saw your Minecraft videos. Would you like to come edit for um, our company? And then I started editing for multiple YouTube automation people at the time. It was very new um, when, when I started. So I started editing for the company that owns The Richest. Maybe you know it. It's called Valnet Inc. So I used to be like a freelance editor and at the time I was like 14 or something. So I could get like $150 a video, which was insane money, of course, to me. Yeah. Like, because I was maybe getting $100 from AdSense from my Minecraft channel at the time, since all my viewers were literally the same age. So no one, no one was a uh, valuable like 13, viewer. 14 years old at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, that's where I started earning my money. But then, of course, like I started looking at these channels. So I was like, oh shit! Like they're automating everything. Like they're just literally uh, printing money. And so I got in touch with other people in industry, and I started editing for them. And I st- kind of started learning, and then saving up all the money I got from editing to first build my own team. So that's the first thing I did. Like I first started getting other people. Like I got too lazy to edit, and then essentially I started outsourcing my editing work to other editors. And then eventually I got a script right there and the video editors sorted and then all of a sudden I had a team and so I started um, selling those videos to um, all the people who were doing YouTube automation at the time and then eventually I was like why am I not doing my own channels and that's basically how I started very cool very cool because um, so the concept behind this channel is it's about apprenticeship you know and like like going to learn a certain like skill or business model from someone else yeah it's gravitated towards YouTube just because like a lot of the stories I do and yeah. for YouTube, but um, I didn't yeah. know your story, and so it's 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 interesting to see that you. I mean, you have that same path where it's like you saw this opportunity, and then you're like, hey, like let me go learn from like the people that are crushing at this, and then start doing it on yourself. So. Yeah, I was constantly, like, during that process, I was constantly bugging them, like, asking them about, like, how does this work? How does this work? And that's the reason why I think it was successful so pretty uh, quickly, because no, most people get into YouTube automation. Like, if they just start, they don't know how to actually create good YouTube videos, because you still have to understand how, how do you create good YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. But because I was editing script writing, like, I was doing the script writing as well uh, a lot of the time, so I, I had to understand all the fundamentals, because I was doing it, like, on a daily basis. Like, I've edited, edited hundreds and hundreds of videos and I've written a lot of scripts so I, I know how to structure them and then once you know how to structure them it's way easier to when you start doing your own thing to basically outsource and like communicate with your team as well so again like understanding and and, and having been in the trenches uh, as well really helps with communicating with your teams in the future yeah 100% so for someone that um, that's interested in this stuff right they watch YouTube but they don't they don't have any experience with YouTube would you recommend mm-hmm. they go work for someone like you or like a big channel or like what would you recommend? Yeah. 
hundred percent. So what you um a lot of times see is that people they will immediately like try and get started. Maybe they have like a thousand dollars saved up, right? And and at that point I'm like, okay, you're going to waste that a thousand dollars on making mistakes regardless. So what you can instead better do is start working for free for someone first to get like some experience and a, and a bit of a portfolio because what often happens is people will like i get daily dms in my twitter so asking like hey can i work for you but then it's like that's the only thing they send like hey can i work for you and then when i ask for their portfolio it's like this really trashy google drive link and i'm like okay you know there's no effort in it and then obviously you get skipped out so if someone's listening and they want to come work for you what's the playbook like what do you want to see so I would approach like this, like, for example, like, hey, I'm a video editor, like, could you send me a sample of like any type of video you need to get edited right now? And then a hundred percent, if they approach it like that, I'll send in a video, like a type of video I would need edited. And maybe you can ask like, hey, do you by any chance have a, like a sample of like a um, script and a voiceover I can utilize for like a sample edit? Like make it very, like it has to be quick communication because obviously like, especially people like me or we're very busy and like we get a lot of DMs. So just to be very quick and like very clear with your request or just saying like, okay, I'll just take the voice over from that video, that sample video he sent me and I'll just do another edit over that um, video and just to show, okay, I have the technical skills. I, I understand pacing and rhythm in an edit. And if once I see that, I'm like instant hire. And a big part of it as well is that you will separate yourself by so much by just showing a little bit of effort since to be honest most editors or most people who try to apply for jobs they're really lazy they just yeah. send me a template like i've seen thousands of these I, like i'm sure nowadays you get so much like chat gpt like auto-generated stuff <laughs> it's yeah like... it's so low effort so not personal because i always get like the same bitch like okay here's my portfolio um i can edit whatever and then when i look at the portfolio it's like really irrelevant for me like okay cool you can edit like short clip but that doesn't mean you can edit full sorted crime documentaries you know so it doesn't translate over and so if i don't i'm not sure about you i'm not gonna hire yeah like one of the themes on this podcast is like first of all it's like it's actually really easy to stand out (laughs) you just get like most people just like put like no effort right and it's like Right. The solution yep. is highly customized, like make it as easy as possible for the person you're reaching out. Like do a, a customized approach. Like don't like don't try to reach out to a bunch of people with the same message that's like just like cliche and like from chat GPT or whatnot. Customize yep. the message and make it personal to them and, and it's like it's not that hard to stand up. Yeah, right. It's it's so easy. Like I sometimes I imagine like that's that's another thing I sometimes think about is that say for example I would lose everything and I would start all over, how I would essentially like build up again and that's essentially how i would do it like i would pick out like a few people i think okay 100 percent, you would be a very a valuable experience learning for and maybe i can also earn good money uh, if i join your team and add a lot of value so i would pick a few people out like maybe let's say five and then i would make for each of these people a very tempting offer so say for example i would be a video editor or i would want to do video editing I would get like their videos from YouTube and then I would do my own edit over it. I think this trend is kind of starting. Like someone tweeted on Twitter in the last few weeks where they got Patty Galloway's voiceover and they did their own edit of it. And that's oh, kind yeah. of how they show like, oh, I want to, yeah, I want to work for Patty. That's a great pitch. Like if someone would do that for me and it would look good, instant hire. Right. So those things are really, really important. It's so easy to separate yourself from, from the rest. Nice, man. So let's say someone has like basic YouTube skills, right? They've done, they've worked for someone for like six months. They've kind of learned the ropes 
and they want to like play with a little uh, pocket money, right? They want to get yeah, started. Yeah, right. How do you find a niche? And I know you're building a product right now. You're no, that's fine. Like I'm open to sharing. So well, just a really quick note on like essentially the product I'm building is not so much. I'm not selling the information because you can find it anywhere. Of course, it's not bundled up. Like you have to kind of like scrape it together. But essentially the course is just simply, okay, I'm trying to get as many people started like for a very cheap price. Like sure, I'll ask a bit of money for the course so I can cover the cost of producing it. But other than that, like I'll try to get as many people started and then I'll surface the back end of that industry. So right when you start a YouTube automation channel, think about the stuff you need. You would need a team to produce your video. So mm-hmm. that's something I can profit off of. You need to find a niche. So I build a tool to find you niches. Yeah. Another thing, of course, is right when it doesn't work, you might need consultation. So that's another thing I might be able to work in. Uh, say, for example, you want to expand to other platforms like Snapchat, where you need access to a, a Snapchat agent to get into Snapchat and like establish also your faceless brand within a Snapshow, for example. Like That's something I can also surface. And there's much more things coming to that platform, but that's essentially why I'm not really afraid of sharing information i mean basically from what i understand it's gonna be like very cheap course right compared to like everything that's like available out there right and the goal is like you're kind of going for the long game versus like most people are going for like charging high end up front right and just like like getting the money up front and then like people are not really successful and they don't really care you're you're doing the opposite where it's like like, hey like let me get you this information for as cheap as possible and then in the long run like when you're successful you're gonna like be using my products long right and uh, and, I'll, and we're all going to be winning, right? Right, yeah. So once someone has a successful channel and they need 12 videos a month, right, or usually even more, like when they start doing daily uploads, right, that's 30 videos. If you maybe make $20 profit a video, that's good money. Like you can make way more money over time by making sure someone, it's easy for them to start and then you deliver really, really good quality up front so they, they trust your brand and then you can expand it out into other services they can use over time while they are coming successful. Let's say I like someone that's in college and has like some time on the side, right? right. And loves to watch YouTube, right? Like what's, like, yeah. how, how do they get started? I'll show you like the most basic method. There's multiple ways to do it. The first thing you have to understand when finding niches is we're always searching for an imbalance in supply and demand. So we have to find a niche where the demand is really, really big and the supply is like really small and low quality as well. So that's another thing we look at. It's not only is the demand big, but the supply that is there is also small and low quality. So those are two like that would be the perfect niche if you could find that and there's multiple indicators and I and I teach that in the course as well. But for example, when you get kind of get started out, you can kind of see like I already search for like a bunch of different keywords but essentially that's what i do i come up with keywords and the tool i built basically does this on a large scale right so mm-hmm. we have a really large list of keywords and then we'll just go through the keywords and uh, do the following so what you can for example do is let's do something random like day training and then something like that right so what i'll do i'll, I'll go over to this month right because you kind of wanted to have it something be recent like because yeah. in the youtube algorithm right YouTube looks at, okay, what is the watch history of um, something recent, like something recent someone has watched. Like if someone has watched it over a year ago, that's the rest relevant for the YouTube algorithm than something that someone has watched, for example, two weeks or a day ago, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very important that the channels you're finding are very, very recent uh, for that reason as well. So the next thing you want to do is you want to go to um, a few count. And then you want to 
uh, usually also sort by 4 to 20 minutes since what basically happens otherwise is you get a bunch yeah, of shorts. Short, yeah. But what I would do is I would be searching with vidIQ. You can see like the subscribers up front, right? So I would be searching okay. for. for... No vidIQ. You you can uh, you can download the plugin in Chrome. It will give you some extra info on YouTube. Right. Yeah. So what I would be doing is I would be going through all these channels and look looking at the views. Okay, where can I find major views and like low amounts of subscribers? So that's what I'm doing for all these keywords. So let's do it for court cases, for example. So this is how I found it. Like, say you type in the keyword court and you go to feud this month and then 4 to 20 minutes to filter out the, the shorts and then you would kind of like scroll down and then eventually you'll probably find this niche as well they're doing it a lot in india but do you ever filter geographically you're not are you no. able to do that i'm usually just uh, my favorite target audience i will say is, is like boomer americans yeah so because they get the highest rpm especially people from Texas, Florida, those places, they generate really high RPMs. Yeah. They got a lot of time on their hands, but a lot of money too. <laughs> right. So this is like mixed results sometimes, but I'll also show you for something more relevant. Like say, for example, this is a really good one. So the AI. So you know the meme where they get the president to play. So this is a niche. <laughs> yeah, this is a niche. So for example, look at this. Like the channel is monetized, as you can see right there. And look, they're getting insane views, yeah, and I just started a month ago. <laughs> you so see, what, so what, it, just, what are these videos? They're like they're like Obama, Donald Trump. Oh, and, and they're stuff like that. playing like Twitch style, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, right. yeah, that's like pretty easy to. It's like a pretty easy format too. Yeah, and right, and if you do it with this method, you eventually find a bunch of channels similar to it. Like for example, again, this one, five thousand subscribers and half a million views. And you can keep going like this. Like this one channel of course got a lot, but this channel as well, like same thing. Same format. Okay. That's great, you know? And so so just to summarize, so you're looking for high views on low subscriber channels because basically that means the content is very successful despite it being a small channel, right? Right, and usually like on these smaller channels, like the videos are also pretty bad, like they're not optimized at all. But mm -hmm. because the format is just, or the niche is something people are very, very interested in, yeah. it will go viral regardless because so, there's such a demand. So you're, you're looking for a viral format that has yeah. not been exploited yet. Right. right okay, so, yeah. so what's the next step? Right, so after you've found your format or essentially your niche you want to get into you of course have to find like okay you have to start outsourcing like you don't have to from the start like i know that also some people they what they would do is like okay i'll write the script myself i'll do the video editing myself i'll just outsource the voiceover but if you know you can have the knowledge like okay i can probably just outsource everything and, and it will be fine um what i would do especially for the script writer and the video editor but more so the script writer is find someone who's actually a fan of the subject like for example i also own mma channels right so i need someone who actually has knowledge on that subject so that's mm -hmm. a big thing like some Sometimes people hire generalized teams and that's the problem with generalized teams is that you need experts for some subjects like for example if you do a channel on day trading right yeah and you need someone who understands the who understands the financial markets or if you do something with mma or boxing like yeah you need someone who who knows who everyone is and yeah. who knows how the sports work it's the brain so that's like otherwise like you're not gonna be able to create like interesting like educational content right right for someone that's getting started i'm actually I'm curious, there's a couple paths, right? Like one, you can go work for someone, but the second mm -hmm. one, it seems like you can kind of try to start this on your own without investing too much money, right? Basically starting a faceless right. channel, but you're doing all the work. 
And like once right, you yeah. once you're successful, then you can invest money on scaling that, right? Am I right with that? Yeah, that's yeah, that's another way to go uh, about it, which is um, a more direct way. Because if it pays off, it like pays off directly to you. The problem with it is if you just start yourself and just go all out by yourself, you won't have anyone to give you feedback. Like usually, a lot of people yeah. they will make very basic, stupid mistakes. Like when you and me look at it, we're like, oh, yeah, I can see where you where you yeah. went wrong here, you know. Yeah. But like, and and they would be completely oblivious oblivious to it. So that's one thing. It might sometimes be a quicker road but it can also be a way longer road depending on of course a bit of your luck and your previous experience as well yeah that 100% makes sense okay so you found a niche how much do you personally invest into a channel like do you have a number where you're like hey i'm gonna invest this much and then if it fails we're gonna like write it off if it reaches this amount of views or this like rois on my investment then we'll keep going is there like a time period or Usually it's pretty easy to see like the channels that are going to do well and you, and you kind of see it on like court cases like I showed, they will go viral very, very quickly. Like the channels that are actually really worthwhile, they explode. Like I know like the consensus on YouTube is like, oh, it takes a long time to, you know, grow. But if you're doing yeah. a faceless channel, you have to understand if you got the right niche, you got the right format, you got the right team, your channel will take off within 10 videos or so. Like sometimes, yeah, yeah it can take a little bit longer. It's, it's kind of like, um, like a startup, right? You have product market fit here. It's kind of like content market fit, right? If, if, if it's right. there, it's there and it's popping, right? Yeah, right. If it's not there, it's not there. Like sometimes the viewers just don't respond to it well and you have to move on. There's like another layer to it you don't understand yet. Like maybe the channel you were looking at has like a secret method to, or like an extra method to go, kind of go viral. Like for example, I was in a certain crime niche and essentially what was happening is that yeah the videos were going viral every single time but we kept getting demonetized or for limited ads or like graphic content and then there were a bunch of other channels like they were all monetized and were and they were all like making money like we couldn't just we just couldn't figure out how to enter that niche but eventually we figured it out it was something to do with like the places that were they were getting the footage from but like this is kind of what i mean it's like sometimes when you start a channel there's like a certain piece of knowledge you need to know essentially yeah. to make it successful so and, it's and like it seems like there's like a the monetization component is big right it seems like because I saw you post the other day about like getting a channel monetized. I don't know if this is the same example you're talking yeah, about here, right? It's the same example, yeah, yeah. Um, but so basically, sometimes it's like a game to be played to figure out how to get your videos, like how to get YouTube to monetize the video because they won't they won't allow you to for some, for like yeah. some odd reason, and you you don't really have like a contact there, right? So you have to guess, or how does that work? Well, usually, usually, actually, YouTube complies with the guidelines pretty well. Sometimes they they um, apply the guidelines in a certain way where you kind of did expect it. Like you have to be very serious about the guidelines. Like for example, if you do a crime channel, right? Like things like violence, like actually, if actually showing violence on screen is a big no no. Mm -hmm. Which it's, it sounds very intuitive, but like it can also be something like pushing over someone else. Like the content IDs, like the system they use, they they can recognize just pushing as something that's violent. Like if there's enough of that pushing, like wow. that's enough violence to then, especially if there's like certain, like they also look at, which is very interesting to me, they even look at who is involved. Like if it's, for example, like two normal people pushing each other, it will not get demonetized as quickly as for example, if it's a police officer pushing someone else, since they don't like to show police violence that's at crazy all. They're, they're probably able to pick all this up just from uh, like AI, right? Right, yeah, they're doing that. So you have to understand their system is extremely smart. So it's difficult to play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when that happens, you just like, you go back to the original channels and you kind of like, 
figure out like what they're doing differently or you just like follow yeah. like how YouTube tells you like don't do this and so you're like okay we're gonna avoid doing this and then the certain channel I was working on like I was at some point I was like I just couldn't figure it out so I started emailing like all the channels like I was pretending to be a video editor wanting to work for them and I was trying to kind of like like trying to like uh, during the conversation like trying to figure out like to see what what they were doing and where they were getting their footage from eventually I found out but yeah stuff like this I, I sometimes kind of have to do to figure out what what the secret is exactly that sounds like painful and fun at the same time <laughs> it is it's, like... it's such it's like a game like that's the whole problem it's so extremely addicting i think to be honest like one of the most addicting business models it's like a game of monopoly essentially or like it um, really is. it's like farming youtube yeah i don't know I, I know a lot of people like normal creators especially they dislike it kind of because obviously like it goes against like all the normal consensus where it's like oh quality yeah. hard work you know authenticity which no it's not it's not really like especially in my channels yes yeah, so for example court cases yeah it has it, it kind of has a authentic feel to it and it's like if you watch it after you'll see like the, the quality is, is pretty good and, and everything's well produced but then i have some other channels which are like also compilation type videos and i, I would own a whole niche and it's like 20 of the same channels but they would all do well because the format just worked so well that it's like yeah sure I'll, I'll just keep investing into it because it's just literally making me so much money back it's like because it's so low effort you can scale it so big so if there's like 10 channels that fail and like 10 channels that stay alive like sure whatever you know because if one video takes off like for example i've had one compilation video last november and it made me like 50k on the first video on, on the channel yeah so it's, it's like so is that something that you do a lot where you find a niche that's like underserved and you start several channels within that niche? I usually start um, multiple channels within one niche, especially if they keep going viral. Like if I see competition and they go enter my niche and they go viral, I'll flood the niche immediately. So I always try like with whatever I do also like in businesses outside of YouTube, I always try to create a moat as much as possible because yeah. the problem with the internet is that, and, and then that's the beauty of the internet as well. Everyone can access anything, yeah. right? So you have to have that secret ingredient or, or like a secret layer to it. So often I will go into niches that are very copyright risky, very prone to limited ads and um, limited ads. Um, stuff like that. Because essentially that is what separates you from the mass essentially because if you understand okay, how to avoid those limited ads how to get around copyright stuff like this that's when it becomes very difficult for your competitors to do the same thing as you're doing and that will avoid that niche getting saturated essentially got it yeah so the example you're sharing before i think that was for the crime channel you're saying mm -hmm. right where it's like basically the challenges are good because if you're able to overcome yeah. them then that's a moat that means like less people are gonna come in because it's getting essentially harder to crack. Right, so you have multiple types. So like, I love this type of mode as well, like where it's like, because um, you can buy, kind of build like a double mode. So first, okay, you have to figure out the secret recipe essentially. Like, how are they getting demonetized? Because if you get demonetized, people will give up. And then another thing you can put on top of it, and this is what normal creators, for example, do, right, is, okay, they'll go for quality a quality mode so if you get your quality really really high um like smaller channels with smaller budget budgets right they can't compete with you mm -hmm. so that's another way to kind of establish a mode if you get really good quality it's very difficult for people to copy that format and compete with you got it is that something you do yeah. on some channels yeah so we're working on something in the finance space which is like really really high quality and then hopefully but we're not really going the adsense route we're trying to go like 
really high-end sponsorship, right? So that's another yeah. format where we're trying to do, like, getting more into sponsorships. Because to be honest, I'm, I've been a bit uh, lazy on the sponsorships. Essentially, because they take so much work yeah. to get them right. And obviously, they hurt the performance of your videos. And, like, most of the ads on the videos, they were running so well and so passive that I, I wouldn't even be bothered to do the sponsorships. But now, when you hit, like, a certain cap of, okay, okay you run, like, 25 channels, you have to start thinking, okay, how do I optimize the current channels I'm running? Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. I'm kind of doing right now. Yeah. That's part of the scaling, too. Okay, so let's talk about the teams, right? So you mentioned yep. at the beginning of the interview that each team has... Scriptwriter, voice actor, and video editor, right? And then right. Yep. Uh, you mentioned you have you have two or three managers as well. They kind of like help yep. you manage the teams. And I'm assuming you also have some thumbnail artists mm-hmm. that kind of scale across yep. the different channels and help with the different channels, right? But like you said, you have like between 40 to 70 people, right? That, that your managers yeah. kind of help you yeah. manage. But how is all of that organized? What's the structure of this like YouTube empire? Essentially, this is how it works, is we have a Discord server, and I have multiple, so this one is another one, but it depends on the project, right? So essentially, how it works is that you have under each team, you would have like different sections in the Discord server. So you have general, you have the deadlines where we, like the managers, they essentially put like, okay, when do videos need to be done throughout the week? Then you have a, a server for script writing, voiceover, editing, team management, and, and client management. But this is an extra for, um, say, for example, if you would have partners, right, mm-hmm. on your channel, like you have multiple stakeholders, they don't need to see the whole process. Like you only want them to be able to communicate with the team back and forth. Say, for example, they did it like the video or something. But um, anyway, so how it works is we have a system either in Trello or ClickUp. Um, I can show you that Trello system really quickly. My whole philosophy with it, but this is my own system. Like I have guys I work with on another project where we scale to a lot of channels. Like I don't really count those channels because it's like, absolute like mass quantity and like test it's actually like nearly testing niches like getting in it in them really quickly seeing how quick they blow up and then if they blow up okay sure we'll try it essentially that's the strategy there but then for my all my personal channels like the other 20 essentially what i do is i try to keep the process as simple as possible because if you start onboarding new editors script writers whatever and you have a very complicated system they're going to be so confused and it's going to take a lot of effort to train them right so essentially um it's very it's a very simple system so at the start of each week i'll be dropping like a bunch of topics so i'll drop like for example on this roblox channel right you you do like craziest roblox hackers or whatever you know it, mm-hmm. for, it's just an example and then so once the that topic topics, is you mean like video ideas yeah, video ideas, right? And it and, and this can also be done by my scheduler. So sometimes at the start of the channels, I usually do it. But once the channel is running and uh, everyone kind of understands the concept, that's when I let the scheduler uh, do the topics usually. Then once they drop the topics, we move over to the script. So he will move it over from topics to script. And then the script writer can start working on it. And what the script writer will essentially do then is he attaches the script to the Trello card and he moves it over to recordings. Same thing happens here. So video gets recorded, the script gets recorded. Then again, like the, uh, the voiceover attaches like a Google Drive link or a Dropbox link in here. And essentially that's just how it goes through the system and then goes to videos, um, goes to videos. Um, same thing happens with the edit. Like he downloads the script and the voiceover, he edits it and then uploads again the whole video to here. And then for this channel, we didn't 
um, need the thumbnail section, but it's the same thing for the thumbnail section. You have a thumbnail section, and it's like, okay, the thumbnail needs to be made, and then essentially you put it on, needs to be uploaded, and then uploaded. So that's essentially the whole workflow. Okay, cool. So, and you have deadlines here? No, those are in the Discord server. So that section, uh, usually you'll have like a section where I'll spell out like, okay, we need one video on Monday, one video on Wednesday, one video on Friday. So you usually have a cadence, you're saying? Yeah. Where basically you have three videos a week and then you have like editor needs to edit by Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday. And then yeah. the voiceover has to edit by like Wednesday. No, usually we work actually in bulk. So it's a, a different. So with these, like, for example, I'll put 10 topics, then 10 scripts get written. As soon as they're done, like, of course, they get moved. And if the voiceover has time, he usually records them immediately. But a lot of the times it will actually be like, okay, he writes 10 scripts, voiceover does 10 voiceovers, and then oh, the wow. video editor just starts pushing them out. So you're not like in a rut. Basically, it's like you'll pre-make like 10 videos and then like you'll just put them out and then you'll do another batch. And... That's the start of a channel, but right? But once it's running, it's more like a daily process so actually like in the morning the script gets submitted in the afternoon the voiceover gets done and in the evening the video gets edited and then late at night the video gets uploaded because that's american time right that's when all the americans are awake so that's european time for me wow and so you're on most of these channels like let's say the cash cow channels right that have been proven Mm -hmm. like you're trying to put out a video every day seven days a week yeah especially low effort compilation channels every day that's crazy Okay, so back to the systems. So uh, you have Discord, you have Trello. Like the way you explain it, it sounds actually like relatively like straightforward, right? It is. <laughs> yeah, you don't so, you don't want to over people overcomplicate it. Like, yeah. oh, I have the secret, I have a secret ingredient, and it's and it's like the special like workflow, whatever. No, it's not. It's like the only thing you have to understand is like the fundamentals. Like, if you understand how to make a good video and you have you understand the market, it's not that difficult. Yeah, and but, then you, you hire people that kind of can own it you know without you having to micromanage right that seems key um Mm -hmm. but so what's your week like what does your week look like you said like on mondays like like every single day you said you first thing in the morning you check the analytics for like the 20 plus channels you have right and yeah you get a little high from that dopamine rush from that right yeah 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 right yeah (laughs) or not yeah Um, yeah and then you said that monday you kind of go into those trello boards and you'll help on some of the channels you'll help brainstorm like video ideas probably on the newer ones right to crack some new Mm -hmm. formats how else do you do you spend like the rest of your week well that was a problem so over the last six months i've been traveling like quite a lot so we kind of looked like this so on Monday, I would maybe for like three, four hours, like go over all the channels, look at the retention, and then kind of do research to the niche, to most of the niches. Like the established channels, I was not so much researching because I kind of knew they were going to do consistent anyway. But the newer channels, yeah, I was kind of like, okay, looking at the competition, kind of seeing, okay, how are the videos doing? How can we improve? And then I'll always have like a call on Monday with the, like the management team and and I'll let them know, okay, this is what needs to change. And they will spread it throughout the whole team. Like they will implement that in the team, which is very important. And another thing that's very, really important is when you have those feedback calls, you have to make sure, um, hold them accountable that they actually implement the feedback you give them. So that's another thing. Like obviously with like digital management teams, oftentimes like you ask them to improve something and they just don't. So you always have to keep them accountable after. So that first process of going over the channels maybe takes me three hours on Monday. Usually takes me the whole day on Monday, the, the channels. Um, so and then you're, kind of, you're acting as a consultant, kind of uh, like right. you were saying before, right? You're, you're basically looking at the channels, you're looking at the opportunities, you're looking at the threats, you're thinking of like video formats, 
you're thinking of like how can we improve things and then you communicate that research to the channel managers right yeah okay. right so that's essentially how it works and then they implement it into the systems and then and and real quick before you get to the next thing you have three channel managers so you have schedulers which is the people who upload the videos to your channels and track the performance like okay say for example they're basically the masters of uploading essentially so they everything concerning title and thumbnail that's what they do and then everything concerning like the format of the video itself the content itself like the topic and the structure of the video itself that's what the managers have to implement so the managers actually they they're kind of like hr managers essentially like they manage all the teams and they make sure the videos are good essentially interesting Okay, so in schedulers, you have, I guess you have, you scale those across different channels as well, right? Yeah, you don't need a lot, to be honest. Like, yeah. right now, for all the channels, I only have one, but he's, like, uploading the whole day. But but they're the, like, he's the master of click-through rate, basically, right? Like, he owns that metric. Right, he, he's the one who goes back and forth with the thumbnail. Like, obviously, there has to be, with thumbnail designs, it's very important you give them feedback. Like, because their first thumbnail will never be the best thumbnail they come up with right so you always have to go back and forth so that's what the scheduler is essentially it's like it's a game of pong and he essentially if when the thumbnail hits a certain threshold he will let it through like you can't go back and forth on these channels at because you only have one day to get it done mm-hmm. and then on 20 channels um but he will make sure that there's like a decent level of quality on the thumbnails before he uploads it okay cool and then you have the managers and those guys are basically responsible for one the quality of the video itself right like hey mm-hmm. like avd like is this like a good video they come up with the video ideas and then they manage the teams and make sure right, like, yeah. everything comes together and so you have yep. three of those and basically they just like each have like five or six channels or something like that yeah yeah they have teams on there like five or six teams usually under them and but at some point you you have to get multiple managers because you want like the managers should be your personal touch towards the team members right if you don't like that's my philosophy on it like i don't want everything to be automated because it gets really confusing right because the problem with automation is that it doesn't take into account for certain uh, errors or nuances so for example when someone is sick all of a sudden the whole system breaks down so what the managers do in those situations is like okay there's someone sick here today on the team we'll get someone from the other team mm. to fill in there so say for example you, you automate your whole team right and everything is connected with with Zapier or s- some other software yeah. that will break down especially when you're working with unprofessional freelancers which will happen if you're trying to reduce your cost yeah. that will happen so much you need to have that human touch and that human nuance to keep running your teams essentially so that's why managers are a must if you want to keep scaling and so how, how many channels do you see that like break like how many channels can a manager handle? Usually it's like six, but if you have a good manager, it can go up to 10. It depends on how focused they are as well and how much you're paying them. And like, for example, it does really help if you give them like a percentage. So, okay, if the channel does well, you'll get like 5%, whatever. Do, of do the, you do of the, Do you, do you yeah. them with like upside? I especially do this with editors and managers less, but especially with editors, it's very important since editors on like really, really high quality channels, I usually do this on the higher quality channels. Like when it's just like a simple compilation channel, no, I don't really do so because, you know, tomorrow if like one video is bad, like tomorrow we'll upload another one, which is probably better. So it's whatever. But like on like really high quality videos, we have to get it right nearly every single time, right? Because otherwise it kind of fails. Like if you upload too many bad videos, like yeah. you're making a loss on that channel. So on 
that I just pay like the video editor is really good and then I give them a percentage of the channel like usually I attend 20% of the revenue but just so they can make like I, I tell them like I'll give you a week to do the whole video I do really want you to be like your like your own business person because essentially like the better the channel does the more you're going to be earning yeah. right say for example the channel does 20k or 30k in a month like you're going to get three three or six k from that so you're going to earn way more from making better videos than it is rushing your edit i say like okay you have a week just make the best edit you can possibly do so we can get as many views as we possibly can that's the only thing i basically tell them at that point so that really really helps with incentivizing them but for yeah managers sometimes just like on like medium channels you just kind of want to incentivize them to make sure they check the videos that they're good yeah it's all about figuring out like hey like what incentives are necessary in in this scenario like what's going to motivate them to do a yeah. good enough job to get good videos out it's all about balance to be honest like okay say for example it's like l low quality because so whatever you know I'll, I'll just keep 100% of revenue like my most risky channels or whatever but if it's like a more evergreen more established channel and you just want to build a brand that's when it's more interesting to give your team a percentage yeah especially when you're building brands that becomes way more interesting because you want to maintain that certain level of quality on those low level quality compilation channels I really don't care I really don't care like one day you'll upload really bad content the other day sure you upload a little bit better content and then it goes viral because again you're in a good niche so yeah it's more of a volume depends. game yeah yep so back to uh, your schedule so that was uh, we talked about monday right you do all that research communicate to the manager how else do you spend your week right so after monday actually it's pretty laid back so i do a lot of travels like i'm very much into diving stuff like that so that's something which is really you're important to me right now right like yeah like yeah. Uh, staying in, in your own personal villa uh, yep. So that's part of the, the lifestyle. Yeah, so, and then the rest of the week, I'll do something like, so one day it's like leisure, and the other day it's like work, like deep work. And then on the days it's deep work, I'll be working on other projects, because essentially like everything with YouTube automation, it's outsourced other than the research, but the research I do on Monday. So I've done nearly everything, and obviously like I keep optimizing, but for me also, like I'm still young, and... For me, YouTube is also, or like entrepreneurship is also a game. I want to learn as much as possible, like not only on YouTube, but that's why I also like building the course for the platform or building like a software, which is yeah. very interesting to me because I learned so much from building those. So the rest of the week, I'll just be having meetings and essentially searching for, searching for opportunities. Eventually when you're, company that's what i've noticed when your company gets a certain size you don't um, so much become like okay you're always doing or building something you're more so more so searching for opportunities right okay like mm -hmm. okay oh i can maybe like do a SaaS tool and then when i think of it i'll just hire someone to build that software for me and obviously like i'll be going back and forth and, and coming up with opportunities or ideas but that's the only thing i'm doing i'm like an at this point i'm an idea generator yeah because once you've understand how to delegate stuff right like, yeah all you need to do is come up with the ideas and then let other people execute it so right like farming ideas so so basically if i understand correctly you're running over 20 channels last year you made like close to eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars and most of that work is done in it seems like like 12 hours a week maybe 10 hours yeah. a week yeah. right like most it's of something like that yeah. and you're checking in you're just checking in, like, status And then check. some chatting. Like, if I'm lay laying on the couch at home, like, I'll open up the Discord server, see how everyone's doing. Sometimes I'll click on random videos. Like, it's not really work. It's like, okay, I'll just check in, really. And that maybe takes, like, two hours extra or something. For yeah, it's like a day of work, usually. And otherwise, it's like, you have, like, three calls, it seems like. You have calls with, like, the three managers, and that's pretty much it, right? As far yep, as that's it. calls with the team. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and then with the other for the other projects, I do have a lot of calls because yeah, like when you're just starting a project, right? You constantly have to bounce things back and forth, like how are, how we're gonna realize this concept. But yeah, for because the channels are like kind of established now, and that system is established. Yeah, we don't have to have a lot of calls anymore. Like it's like a weekly call now, and we just get everything done. So we have on Monday, we have a call with the managers and the team. And then on Wednesday, we have a call with, as I have a second project, right? I was talking about where I'm working with three other guys and we're like doing crazy quantity. And then we have a call with the four of us and we discuss like, okay, how are the channels going? What other niches are we getting into? Stuff like this. So yeah, at this point, it's just literally networking, finding opportunities and like executing on the right ones. Nice, man. The last thing I want to touch on is hiring because I mean, like obviously the people are like, it's like probably the central part of the business, right? Finding the right people, mm-hmm. just finding people that can do what you're, what you're looking for, right? Yeah. The price you're looking for. What's your strategy around hiring and are you involved with it at all or have you delegated that to your, to your managers and what's the system? So essentially with hiring, it's basically two things. So for general hiring, so low quality compilation channels, stuff like that, we essentially, the managers just did it for, for me. Like, okay, okay, in the goal, I usually go over with them. Okay, okay, based on what we've seen in the last week, is there any area where we need more or less people? Like, we usually have like a bunch of people in reserve as well. Like, say, for example, that happens a lot. Like someone drops out all of a sudden, like they go ghost. That happens so much, right? Mm-hmm we have like a bunch of people we can just go in like hey can you edit this or hey can you voice this or hey can you do a script here so that's what we essentially do we usually have a big reserve list so when we start hiring mostly like freelancers right like they're not full-time people or like i guess some people are full-time but like the managers are probably full-time right and the the schedule is probably full-time they're all freelancers but yeah like the managers and the schedulers are all full-time and then and some video editors and script writers they are as well yeah most of them are all yeah just general freelancers so and, and the problem with them is yeah of course they're gonna have other clients they're gonna have all of a sudden a family dinner randomly and you have to take these things or like these anomalies essentially into account so yeah that's why those managers are really valuable like i don't see in the near future yet anything that can kind of solve that problem like within normal if you own a company right and you have you have the employees like coming to your office every day it's way easier to manage because when they don't show up like they'll say like hey i'm calling in sick these freelancers just disappear for a week and then all of a sudden they're back like hey i was like on vacation and we didn't know you were on yeah this happens like daily and that's why it's so important essentially to have those managers because you're gonna have so many of these situations like okay so it seems like and so where do you hire upwork upwork and twitter like so Upwork for general people, so yeah. everything that's not specialized, like just a normal voiceover, normal scriptwriter, normal video editor, and then you'll also see me hire on Twitter for certain specialists. So motion designers I get from Twitter, thumbnail designers, so all the specialistic fields. Also schedulers I get a lot from Twitter as well, since when you see those new YouTube strategists popping up, those are the people I usually approach. See, they, they can understand. I usually let them shadow me at that point. And so... I'm curious, like, how much do you pay those people? Right, so the scheduler gets paid $1,250 a month. Okay. And so usually they have to upload, like, in a day around 5 to 10 videos, something like that. Okay. And then the manager 
most of the managers also do script writing. Like I want to have to have them a dual functionality that they're always also busy kind of in the field and they get a feeling. So their total salary would be something like four thousand a month. So they're doing like I know like one of my main managers, he lives in Nigeria and he's he's actually living a really really good life there. Like he's like the richest guy in town. You know, it's really nice. funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you see, I pay them pretty decent like western wages i know it can go way lower than that for a lot of them so in total i think my monthly expenses come down to like on across the whole team and then video production costs like somewhere between 20 and 30k something like that and but sometimes it's way lower like some like for example last month it was only 15k but it depends on how many new channels i'm running like when i'm busy traveling and i'm not testing out as many channels it will it can drop very low got it interesting and so for Twitter, when you're hiring these like higher quality people, right, like scheduler yeah. manager, are you hunting for them or are you yeah. just putting out like a post that people reach out? And if you're hunting for them, what's the hunting strategy? Right, right. So what I do sometimes, like when it's like very specific and I can't find anyone, like for example, I was searching for a Dutch editor yesterday and I, I'll just put out a tweet where you can like, oh, I'm searching for a Dutch editor. Like, can anyone link me anyone? And then usually, yeah, Twitter network is amazing. That's why I love building an audience on Twitter. Like literally anything I need, I can just tweet about it and yeah. they're like, oh, here you go. So it's a great, like I would suggest anyone who wants to get into this industry to grow on Twitter because literally everyone is on there. But when I'm hunting, um, I do it like this. So I have a pool of existing graphic designers, video editors, stuff like this. I know that are very, very talented. So I'll just go through their follow list and usually they're following all the other graphic designers, mm. video editors. So I'll go through their portfolio because usually they post the portfolio. That's why it's very important to have your portfolio on your Twitter profile. I'll go through their portfolio. When I see something that's promising or matches the style I'm looking for, I'll just shoot them in the end like, hey, they're like, how much would you be charging for something like this? And then if it's uh, within the budget I'm looking for, hop it to a call and uh, get them working on, the, on that channel. So for the channel managers, for example, like you're looking at like uh, different YouTube strategists in your network and then you're going to look yeah. at who they're following and it's just right. like, it's probably a little tedious, but it's like a little game. I mean, it really is like hunting someone down. <laughs> it like... is, it is. But you only need so many, you know, so it's like, I'd rather like do that personally myself and then build a bit of a connection with them as well. I find it important to just also joke around. Like I'm very lighthearted when it comes to business, you know, I'm not very serious. Like I will say like, for example, I started a big project yesterday, which will be very disruptive. But like I told the guy I'm working with, like, you know, I'd rather you tell me how much money you actually want to earn than later down the line, you screw me over or something like that. So rather be a fun like i'd rather earn a little bit less money and it doesn't give me a headache than squeezing everything out of it and i'm absolutely destroyed because i'm getting bombarded with problems so that's very important i think when you get to a certain level you should stop squeezing and kind of like make sure you focus on building a good connection with the people you work with yeah right yeah yeah hell yeah it's very important Last thing, let's get into the economics of like a channel. What can someone expect to make? And I know it's probably like ranges a lot, right? Like you just showed me a channel before that you had a month that was like making like a hundred plus grand, right? And then yeah. on average, like what's the range of like what you can be making with a faceless channel like this compared to the costs, right? Like a cost per video or I don't know, however you, you look at it. What's the unit economic of like a faceless channel? Like the average faceless channel, and this is like a very average you see a lot, like this is a good 80% of the channels are running on this level, which is like 10 to 20k, 10 to 20k revenue a month. So that's essentially the level where if you want to grow 
further than that, you have to become big. Like everyone will see your stuff. Like you have to understand for me to do that 150k, there were all of a sudden 10 copies because everyone sees you. Like same thing with court cases, right? Like when that exploded and you go above like 30k, whatever, everyone sees your channel. You're like in the mainstream algorithm. Like how many videos will you get 5 million views on YouTube? Not that many. Like yeah. usually a lot, nearly everyone, like the whole YouTube sees it. So do build a channel that's doing like 50 to 100 grand a month, you're going to be out there. You're going to be one of a pretty big creator if you're putting those numbers. What you're saying is basically once that channel goes mainstream, it's going to pop in the feed of like another person that's doing this type of work. Right. And that's going right. to start like sparking ideas, right? Because they're going to see It like, will slow oh. down your growth. Yeah, they're going to see like, oh, this video has 5 million views and this channel has like 50,000 subs. Like this is a huge opportunity, right? Right. Sometimes yes. Sometimes you're like, shit, like, this channel is crushing too bad for its own good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hung up so many times, so many times. Like, and that's why, like, I hate the fact that I'm not uh, able to share, but it just, it would impact my income too much. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm very good friends with someone else who runs a Dutch course on YouTube automation. And she shared her YouTube channel about Elon Musk in the course. So now the whole Netherlands knows about it. And I think literally within the first three, four months she was running that course, that niche got bombarded with over 500 new channels with the exact same format. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like you built up this channel to... uh to crucify almost the, the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's what it yeah. is. Like I'm crucifying, I'm crucifying court cases. Um, yeah. It's okay because it's such a good example, like of yeah. how quick it can go and like, what you're kind of looking out for. But like, yeah, I'm crucifying it for a long-term gain eventually. But it's already happening though. But like people have seen the channel and everyone's hopping onto the niche already. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I'll share that channel. That's fine. Um, but yeah, it's difficult, of course, because sometimes people are like, oh, you're your scammer. You never show your channels for that. But it's just like, it's just such not a strategic thing to do. Like I hate it. Like most of the time I share it privately with like people I, I trust or know. But like usually I just, you want to keep quiet about it. And it's like a whole culture in this world. Like no one shares their channel. Yeah. It's like a very normal. That thing. So five to ten thousand a month with a channel that sounds like pretty that's kind of like the average for a faceless channel is what you're saying? For like a decent running faceless channel, it's like yeah, usually around ten, but also twenty is also possible. But once you start going above that level, your long term growth gets slowed down. Like eventually it caps off like an exponential curve, like kinda like capping off. Um because the bigger you grow, the more competition, and thus it's there's more resistance at the top, so your curve go like it will flatten out eventually. Got it. And yep. what's the lifetime like? What's the average life expectancy of like a faceless channel? So I wouldn't say an expectancy of a channel. I would uh, say expectancy of a format on a channel, right? Because I've oh. right on one channel, like for example, the channel I just showed you that yeah. made 150k a month. I've been running that for years, but with different formats, right? So. On, on an expectancy on one format, it can be very short, maybe a year, six months. Or Interesting. Okay, so these channels don't really die. You just have to like reinvent the wheel each time. Right. And the thing is, like, there all the other channels in that space are like probably watching your channel closely, right? So once they once they so the the new formats probably last like very little time as well right <laughs> yeah and that's the problem so once the it's an established niche and that's a problem with Elon Musk like the Elon Musk niche for example it's a great example such a funny story but like when someone makes a new move that works everyone does it like you have to like uh, someone yeah. uploads it one day the ripple effect across like the whole it's crazy Elon Musk sphere 
Yeah, it's really funny. Like, I know there this guy, I think his channel was called Digital Engine or something, and he did, like, an, an AI documentary with Elon Musk talking to an AI bot that wanted to destroy the world or something, and that popped off, like, it got, like, four or five million views, and then everyone started doing it. It's really funny to see. Yeah, that's the difficult part about it, so... But yeah, it's a really fun, fun competitive space and everyone kind of knows each other. So uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So 10, 15K, what are the costs? Is that profit or is that that's revenue, I assume, right? Yeah, that's revenue. But the thing is you have like 99%, like 95% profit margins or 90% profit margins. So I think if you run like one channel and that's doing like 15K, whatever, I think your costs on a channel like that will maybe be a, it like depends how optimized you have it and, and what the yeah. format is but like maybe like a thousand to two thousand dollars a month or something like it's very high profit margins especially when you scale that to 50k like like the costs are nearly not there like it doesn't matter anymore like, like the costs but that's the beauty of it like and and that's why another thing is why you don't really want to scale up the costs is of course like with faceless channels unlike a personal channel we're riding waves we're riding trends right so our success throughout the months is very like fluctuates a lot like like you saw like i could make 150 grand of a channel on november and then it's doing 15k in um, may or something like that yeah Yeah, right so it fluctuates a lot so you want to make sure you keep those costs consistent if you see like you can scale up the quantity when a channel does well right because in november i was uploading two videos a day at some point as it was doing so well so but you don't want to scale up like the cost per video cost per unit too much because people get overconfident and all of a sudden they're at this new quality level they have to maintain but they're running a loss on those videos like if they all of a sudden spend like a thousand dollars a video like i've seen that happen before and then and then it goes bad and the channel all of a sudden dries up to 500 dollars a day and they're running 500 dollars a day loss now so yeah you have to be careful this stuff is fascinating you mentioned like this is i mean it's great great business obviously fun business but not scalable the same way a SaaS product is, right? No, it's not. um, What's your plan with like the 20 plus channels you're running? Like, are you planning on continuing running these for the time being? Are you planning on selling them? What's what's, like the long game for you? I am. So I'm planning on selling them in the coming two or three years. And hopefully I'm going to, that's my goal for the next two or three years to make a eight figure exit on the channels and maybe other social media assets. That's the plan. Like for example, just for reference, I could sell court cases right now for, and if I, uh, got the revenue back up so that's a big indicator as well like because i haven't been uploading anything but say i got the revenue back up to let's say 25k a month right i could sell court cases for three hundred thousand dollars or something like that right and then the bigger channels because court cases is relatively small right you could sell for more you could maybe sell for 500k to a million some of them so you said if you get it to 25 you're saying you can sell it for uh like a 1 or 2x multiple on the revenue of yeah, the sometimes year. it's more it depends on yeah. how, how evergreen it is usually and how much revenue you're still generating and then another thing that's a problem when selling a YouTube channel is that there's not a lot of people who are going to buy a YouTube channel for more than a million that's where it caps off like a million you can get a million max for your channel probably unless it's like a crazy brand like Mr. Beast or something yeah okay then you can get more but for faceless channels it's gonna cap out at a million and then it's gonna be extremely difficult to find buyers yeah and so you're trying to sell them like group together, like you said. You're saying an eight-figure exit, right? So what? Uh, yeah. 
But private equity firms. Big, big number for, for some YouTube channels. That was the master plan. Private equity firm. Some okay. connections to some some of them, and they're getting really interested in social media assets. So, for example, a good example would be the Instagram account Daquan getting bought out by Warner Bros. I think they bought it for sixty million something. So they're like big companies are getting more and more into like buying social media assets. That's still really interesting to them because right the creator economy is growing so quickly, and like they're also very much interested. Like a lot of these brands are interested in faceless channels as well. So hopefully that interest keeps growing. And then obviously it's like a, it's a risk, right? Because if something goes wrong and it crashes, like and yeah. all the channels, the value goes to zero. Like yeah, that would be really bad. But regardless, that's what I hope to be able to do. Like to sell them in a bundle to a private equity firm and then cash out that way. That's awesome, man. I hope that happens uh, uh, I hope so as well. relatively soon, man. Cool, this was great. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. I think this was super valuable to a lot of people listening. I'm yeah, super yeah. happy to have you on. No worries. I guess Twitter is probably the best way to follow right, you yeah. and see what you're up to. And your course should be out by the time this episode is out. Um, yeah, it will. I think it's coming out May 1st, right, you're saying? Yeah, it will. And so if people are interested in that, just uh, check out at Noah Morris on Twitter. Right, I'll have that in the description. Uh, anything else you want to share? No, that's basically all. Thank you so much for having me on. Cool, man. This is a blast. Awesome. Thank you.